There are events that we see in our lives that are just jaw-droppingly amazing. The magician who's able to pull off the magic trick that just seems completely unfathomable. The Seward firework display that lights up the sky with all kinds of colors and pictures. Or maybe the end of a, a football game where your team happens to pull off the dramatic victory with the, the Hail Mary touchdown pass at the very end of the game. And they're just some events that we see in this life that are jaw-droppingly amazing. In the verses before us today, we heard about a, a jaw-dropping event that three disciples were blessed with the opportunity to see. Jesus' transfiguration. An event where Jesus pulled back the veil to show His glory as the Son of God. The reason Jesus showed these disciples this jaw-dropping event, though, is because He had just told them some jaw-dropping truths. You see, leading up to the verses before us this morning, Jesus had been speaking with His disciples, and during their conversation, He asked them some questions where they were able to correctly identify who Jesus is, stating that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And because His disciples were able to correctly identify who He is, well, Jesus felt that now was a great time for Him to explain what this meant he needed to do as the promised Messiah. Plainly telling his disciples that in the coming days he was going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, which would eventually lead to his death, but would be raised again from the grave three days later. But this news, of course, shocked the disciples. And Peter, hearing that the one he knew was the promised Messiah was going to suffer and die, I mean, he refused to believe it. So he decided to take Jesus aside and rebuke him, telling him that he should never endure any of the things that he had just spoken. But while Peter showed a faulty understanding of what the mission of the Messiah was, Jesus showed a perfect understanding. Because in response to Peter, he told him, Get behind me, Satan. I mean, Jesus knew that his death was so central to God's plan of salvation that to try and avoid it would be to do the work of Satan himself. And upon teaching the disciples the necessity of his cross, well, he then told the disciples the necessity of their cross. And Jesus then said, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I mean, this too was a jaw-dropping truth. Hearing that as a direct result of their faith in Christ, they were going to face suffering, persecution, hardship, and they were called to deny themselves. I mean, these truths that Jesus had just told them were difficult to hear. And they were weighing heavily on the disciples' hearts. But Jesus didn't want his disciples despairing over the promise of his cross in theirs. He knew they needed encouragement. He knew they needed assurance that he was the true Son of God. He knew they needed a sign of what the ultimate outcome would be of both his cross and theirs. So Jesus took three disciples with him to the top of a mountain to give them just that. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain 
where they were alone by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His clothes became radiant, dazzling white, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. And Elijah appeared to them together with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. During Jesus' state of humiliation, the fullness of his majesty and glory was hidden. And had Jesus not done so, then he couldn't have been arrested. He couldn't have suffered, and he couldn't have died. But here on top of this mountain, for the benefit of the disciples, Jesus allowed his hidden glory to burst forth in splendor. And with Jesus standing there, radiant and in dazzling white, it showed him as one who is uniquely holy. Holy not only because of what he had done and living a perfect life, but also showed that he is in essence holiness itself. Something that he possessed as the true Son of God. And as if seeing Jesus in dazzling white with his, his glory radiating outwards wasn't enough for these disciples, well, they were also blessed to see Moses and Elijah on top of this mountain with Jesus. And these were great Old Testament prophets. Moses was the great prophet of the law, the law which Jesus came to fulfill. And Elijah was the great prophet and preacher of repentance. And both of these Old Testament prophets were unique. Moses had been buried by God himself, and Elijah, as we heard in our first reading, went to heaven without ever facing death. And both of these prophets faced all kinds of sufferings throughout their ministries because of their loyalty to God. But neither of them was ashamed of the Savior that they served. And in Luke's account of the transfiguration, we hear that Jesus was speaking to Moses and Elijah about his coming passion. The very things that were soon going to take place in Jerusalem. The very things that Jesus had just spoken to his disciples about six days earlier. And with this, I mean, Everything the disciples saw and heard on top of this mountain, I mean, seeing Jesus' glory and seeing the glory of the saints in heaven and hearing about Jesus' passion, all of it served the purpose to encourage these disciples and to prepare them for the sight of the cross and for their descent into the valley of the shadow of death. And with the transfiguration taking place where it did, Soon after Jesus' conversation with the disciples about his cross, and, and soon before it would actually take place, it shows us just how woven together the cross and the crown are. And this is especially important for us to consider. Because our lives are filled with crosses and moments of glory. Our lives are filled with valleys and mountaintops. And it's important that we recognize the importance and the purpose of both. It's the valleys of life, the times when we're filled with, with suffering, sadness, and pain. And it's times like this that not only keep us from growing arrogant, but which also keep us mindful of our constant need for Jesus' pardon and help in every need that we face in this life. For our sinful nature has this nasty habit that is, as soon as things are going well in our lives, 
to imagine that we deserve our good fortune and can so easily forget who has blessed us with everything that we have. We need the mountaintops in life too. Those times when we're, we're comfortable, when we're happy, when we're at peace. I mean, it's times like this that keep us from falling into despair and which also keep us from getting so focused on ourselves and the suffering we're going through when we do face the valleys in life. And it's also the mountaintops that, that assure that all of the valleys we face in this life will pass in due time, leaving us with a strengthened reliance and closeness to Jesus. And in every mountaintop that we experience in this life, it also serves as a reminder of the ultimate glory, the glory of the resurrection, of an eternity and the presence of Christ, the one who won it for us through his cross. So whether we're in a valley or in a mountaintop of life, both really serve the exact same purpose. They're both designed to focus us on Jesus for us. And this is what Peter was supposed to focus on as he was on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus radiant and dazzling white. But as it so often happened, Peter failed to recognize the true purpose of this event, and instead, he tried to give his own advice as to what he thought Jesus should do in this situation. You see, as Jesus was still speaking with Moses and Elijah about his coming passion, Peter interrupted their conversation and had this to say, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were terrified. What Peter says here is both understandable and foolish. It's understandable because who wouldn't want to stay on top of that mountain seeing Jesus' glory? I mean, this was an event that Peter wanted to last forever. But you see, that's why his comment was so foolish. Because while it may have seemed attractive to stay on top of this mountain forever and avoid the cross that Jesus himself had just spoken to them about, if Jesus remained on top of that mountain, then his redeeming work would have remained unfinished. And then nobody... Not Peter, not the other disciples, not you or me. Nobody would have the true eternal glory that Jesus came to win for all. I mean, Peter, instead of letting this event serve as the beautiful encouragement that it was intended to be, tried to give his own advice as to what he thought Jesus should do. So God himself breaks onto the scene to refocus Peter on what truly matters. A cloud appeared and overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Just as God proclaimed from the clouds at Jesus' baptism, so he also proclaims from the clouds here on the top of Mount of Transfiguration the very same thing. This is my son whom I love. And ponder that for a moment. Jesus had just been speaking to Moses and Elijah about his coming passion. 
And so God identifying Jesus in this way shows the depth of his love for sinners like you and me. Because the very thing he sent his son into this world to endure was the unimaginable suffering of the cross. All so he could take away your sins. All so he could take away your guilt. This is what God sent his son into this world to do. But doesn't it just sound too good to be true? Why would the almighty, holy, and powerful God want anything to do with those of us who are born in sin, born as his enemies? Why would the God who needs nothing and who is glorious in every way ever want to send his son for us? I mean, how can we ever truly believe any of this? And all these questions were so simply answered when God said, Listen to him. Listen to my son. What God wants from us more than anything else is to listen and to continue listening throughout the rest of our lives. Because this is how Jesus becomes for us the Christ that Peter had proclaimed in our verses prior. Because listening to Jesus whether it be through the audible words, as was in the case of the disciples, or whether it be through the inspired written word, as is our case. This is how God establishes his kingdom. Because it is the word that God uses to send his Holy Spirit into our hearts to plant and create faith. Faith, which opens our eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. And to know with certainty that it truly is God's will that he send the son that he loves into this world so that he could redeem us from all of our sins by going to the cross. And God, with his words booming on the top of this mountain, served to redirect Peter's focus and attention away from what he thought to what Jesus would say and to what Jesus would soon do. And as soon as God had spoken these words, well, the event suddenly came to an end. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And at this point, the disciples were terrified having been in the presence of God that was veiled behind the clouds. But there, Jesus, who is no longer dazzling white, went to his disciples to comfort them and bring them peace. Really, what better end to the account could there be that at the very end of everything that had taken place, they saw Jesus alone. And as Jesus and these three disciples made their way down from the mountain, Maybe it seems a little strange that Jesus told these disciples not to tell anybody of anything that they had seen on top of this mountain until his resurrection. But remember, as we saw in the verses prior to this account, the disciples were still struggling to fully understand and comprehend what the mission of the Messiah truly was. So Jesus knew that if these three disciples went and, and spread this news, he knew that it was going to, to lead to all kinds of debates among the disciples. 
and especially with what was about to happen. He couldn't have them debating with one another. They needed to be focused on the cross. And he also knew that if news about this event got out and, and spread around the region, then all of those false ideas about what the Messiah came to do would just continue to permeate in the minds of the people. So until his resurrection, this glorious, jaw-dropping event was to serve the purpose of encouraging and preparing these three disciples for what they would soon see at the cross. Which it failed to do. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was getting arrested, all of the disciples, including these three who saw this glorious event, abandoned Jesus the moment they got the chance. And since this is what these disciples went on to do, could there really be any greater proof that the word is powerful? Because even though they saw this jaw-dropping event on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, this event didn't comfort and strengthen them when they saw the cross. No, it was only the word that was filled with the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that eventually convinced these disciples of Jesus' true glory and comforted them under the cross. And so while we may not have a jaw-dropping event like the Mount of Transfiguration to look back to to strengthen and encourage us during the valleys and the crosses that we bear in our lives, we have the Word. It's the Word that is going to focus our eyes on Christ as we begin our journey with Jesus during this Lent season as we see Him suffering for us. It's the Word that is going to focus our eyes on Jesus as we continue to experience the mountaintops and valleys in this life. It's the Word that has revealed to us the fullness of Christ's glory and assures us of the glorious life in heaven that is to come through the cross that Jesus would bear for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.